From Los Angeles, California, on the MTV Podcast Network, this is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus, seated across the table from me, known and loved in her homeland, is the Nightingale of Belarus, Molly Lambert. Hey, everybody. Welcome to North Mollywood. Molly, I have been absorbing a lot of, uh, I would would describe it as Molly-related content in the last uh, 24 hours. I've been preparing for this moment. I've watched a bunch of Eurovision because you watched a bunch of Eurovision, and I, I needed to get familiar. I love Eurovision. Have you loved Eurovision for a long time? I feel like this was the year for some reason. I feel like it's maybe it's just that it's, everything. It's not just that. It's not an illusion. Uh, it did really break bigger this year. This and is the that, year Eurovision broke. Yeah. And what it is, for people who don't know, is that it's essentially a musical Game of Thrones for Europe, where all the European countries compete against each other for the best song. And... I don't even really know who the judges are or how it's voted on. It's very well, Olympic. This is, yeah, this is the controversy, right? Because I've been, I've, I think we've been reading about this a lot because of who won, but we'll get there in a second. So, like, it, so everybody shows up. It's kind of like the they're sort of like World Cup themes a little bit. Yeah, and they're all they all blend some current pop music trends with some kind of uh, native to these European countries, like some kind of folklore instrument. Or Somebody something like that. I played some of the Eurovision songs for was like, oh, it's like American pop music put through Google Translator and then translated back. It's like things you've heard before and things you hear on the radio, but then yeah, with like a balalaika doing right. a solo in the middle. Um, so it's the best, basically. It is a great way to listen to Lots of music from all around the world that is very silly. And it it's gotten almost less silly. I mean, I got to say, when I looked at the entries this year, I was a little saddened that so many of them were in English because they've become sort of increasingly global, I think, in order to try to appeal to everyone. But part of what I always liked about Eurovision was sort of these weird regional songs and regional trends that you would get. Uh, and it's a little bit now of everyone's trying to make, like you said, the World Cup song. So it's got to be like a big rousing anthem, usually EDM. But there's still some really weird stuff mixed in there with those songs. So this has been going on for a really long time, but only now are we as Americans starting to uh, deign to care about it. Yeah, it's been a thing in Europe since the 50s. And it's been broadcast on television there for as long. So it's a big, a big national event in all of the countries that participate. I think it's a big party. Everybody gets together and watches it. Uh, and it's a great thing to do with a group of people or by yourself against a computer monitor. Also just as fun. I mean, I, I looked at a bunch of YouTube clips of this. I didn't realize that it was on Logo on Saturday and that it was a one-time event. I sort of thought, oh, this is probably this lasts for probably 72 hours. Like, it just goes on and on. It's, it kind of you know, does last they, for 72 hours because there's, like, the finals and the semifinals. There's a lot of pre... And, I mean, there's, like, a 100 countries involved. Uh, when I was doing the preview, I really narrowed it down because I would have... <laughs> that thing was long. I know, and, I, and, and there were people who were like, you left out... You know, the Australian competitor. Who right, because Australia people, is a part of Europe for the purposes of That's Eurovision. what I'm saying. Yeah. If Australia can be part of Eurovision, America can be part of Eurovision. And I want America to be part of Eurovision, but I'm also worried we'll ruin it. 
We will absolutely ruin I it. Know. I, just the idea of us being part of a thing called Eurovision that we can't even, even a thing with Euro in the name, like we have to get involved in. And, and we're despicable <laughs> on, on the world stage. Leave Eurovision alone. I, it, yeah, it's like, well, it's just weird because it's, uh, that, that's why I was asking about, like, I felt like there was a groundswell that everyone was excited. I mean, Twitter, like, creates a sense that people are excited or more excited about things than they actually are just because someone, people need things to tweet about. I think this was the first year that I felt like other people besides me were talking about <laughs> Eurovision because I'm always talking about it when it happens. But, you know, and I know, I know a lot of people who are into the specific world of weird European pop music as a competition show. But this year, it seemed like a lot of people were like, I'm going to try this for the first time. I'm going to give this a chance and see what it's all about. What the hell is this? Right. I mean, I think that's why I brought up the World Cup, because it did feel like that thing where it's like suddenly people are like, yeah, like I'm so excited about Portugal. Like, and it's just you're like, you don't care. You haven't thought one thought about fair weather, Portugal, fair weather, Eurovision fans. Yeah, just but they can. I I'm all for it. I'm just like anyone who wants to be part of the. You know, it's, you can't be snobby about Eurovision because it's the least snobby thing in the world. It is against snobbiness by nature because it's so silly and so tacky, and that is what I love about it. I so yeah, I've been reading a lot about it. I mean, I'm thinking about thinking about tackiness. I, I I've been you know, there's a lot of upsetness though surrounding the result. Now, oh, people take it super seriously. I mean, I think just the whole idea of objectively judging music on the basis of what is the best is so silly and, and impossible. And it's silly when it's on like a singing show, but at least on a singing show, you can be like, oh, well, that person did that, you know, run really well. So they're the best singer. There's some sort of quantifiable data you can pretend is making X person better than Y person. Uh, in Eurovision, it's totally just subjective. And I, I don't know. I mean, last year, I think it was last year that the winner was uh, a, a bearded drag queen who was awesome. And Do you remember where? I can't remember where the, the, uh, they were from. They performed at the Austrian Life Ball afterwards is what I remember. <laughs> but that was one of the ones where you're like, this is the perfect Eurovision winner. It's like kind of something that would never become popular if it weren't part of Eurovision. And because it's part of Eurovision, it becomes like the most popular song in the world. And it's, yeah, because it's not just like countries pick their biggest singer. That's the thing is it's not just like the dream team where you send like Sam Smith from England or whatever. And right. See, that's what we would do, though. Yeah, that's we what America, we send, sent Justin Timberlake. That's yeah, what well, I'm that saying. Was, he was our ambassador. Yeah, we should but, have sent Megan Trainer. Right, because that's she's the most Eurovision. She's the most Eurovision performer right American. now. Working. You have to have like showmanship, sparkles, and just I don't know. Usually, some kind of like silly background dancers or something. The Wolves guy was the big guy this year. Yeah, we should talk about the Wolves guy. I, I mean, if anybody has not seen the Wolves guy, he was he was Belarusian. Is that yes? The, yes. Uh, that is, is that what you say, Belarusian? Is that is that is that sure. what you say? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go ahead. I apologize in advance. Uh, he did not win. Shout out or apology to you know the <laughs> Belarusian people. He uh, he was sort of maybe the favorite almost because he was gonna perform naked with wolves, and people have a real stake in it. There are real, I'm sure, betting 
groups that care who wins. Uh, I obviously have a stake in it always. <laughs> but this year, I, I was proud of myself because I kind of felt as though I called the winner in the preview. Well, you did and you didn't, right? Like, I just read this again. You called it and then you see the, the winner this year was, uh, it was uh, Jamala. Is that her? What was her? I'm yeah, gonna, from the, the Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine. The, the, and she, her song, which I listened to, kind of goes like it's, it's really good. It's, good. Yeah. it's a good it's song. Depressing. Yeah, it was like a real kind of dark, kind of like almost like a sort of Yeezusy ballad or something. With yeah, a, you know, with a, like a kind of Celine Dion Yeezus. A lot of it is very Celine to me. It has that that feel of like Celine is like what international music sounds yes. like. In the, you know, it's the that's the the, the, the bass line. That's the that's the white grape juice in the you know in the the, the punch. <laughs> but uh, so you called it. You called it that Jamal was going to win with this song about the uh, 1944 deportation of the Crimean Tatars on the orders of Joseph Stalin, who thought that they were working with Hitler. And it's um, hard to make a catchy song about that. She, but she sure did. did though. Made me think about like those neutral milk hotel songs about Anne Frank. Like, how do you take the most depressing thing and then make it a song people want to sing along with? Could we send Jeff Mangum to Eurovision if I this mean, happens? I mean, that we... would be the best. <laughs> I would love to send, like, Daniel Johnson to Europe. You know, we have lots of people we could send. Or just even in, like, an Americovision, where it's every state against each other, I would love. That would be dope. Yeah. That would be so great. Because then you would get into real kind of, like, regional. Yeah. I feel like America, it's, it's hard to say, like, I mean, I'm sure that you can say this about Ireland as well, that like, you know, whatever, but like, you know, that America feels so fractious that like, there's no way, how could we be like, this is the sound of America that we're sending out there, you know, like, who are we going to send, which is we why- We should have a, first we have a semifinal where we have every state compete against each other. Yeah. And then we send the winner of that to Eurovision, is what <laughs> I think. And then eventually to the like interplanetary song competition. That's what's really what we're really waiting for is like that Eurovision song that's going to attract the attention of extraterrestrials. They just found like a billion more planets, many of which are habitable. So we're going to be there soon. There's got to be singing on some of those planets. If they have an atmosphere where like sound can move, uh, you know, sound waves. Think about all the different ways sound could sound with different atmospheres. We don't even know. There could be just sounds we've never heard of or thought about that will be possible in space. When we get to space vision. Oh, I'm ready for space vision. Um, and that's what Jeff Mangum has been waiting for, actually. He's, <laughs> he's, he's been like, look, I, everybody thinks I don't like performing. It's just that I'm waiting for the biggest stage. Yeah, it's just on this atmosphere, I don't like it. But when I get to Mars... <laughs> where the, the milk hotels <laughs> are, are, are fun, you know, far nicer out there. Uh, but no, so there was a controversy. I want to know. I want you to weigh in on this controversy. There was there because there's there's controversies and sub controversies around this, and that's what was fascinating to me is that like it's so it was just so contentious around this song because not only was this song political in a way that upset a lot of people, there was also a question about the voting itself. And like if you go and I've, I've spent the morning kind of reading uh, you know kind of conspiracy minded op ed pieces about Eurovision in foreign newspapers. Um, various kinds of things. And so, like, there's this question about... It was rigged. Was it rigged? Yeah, that it was rigged. That I was literally, I read this, and this was in the, uh, this was in, uh, I believe this was Russia Today. Columnist in Russia Today sort of writing about it, uh, obviously, like, has a little bit of a, has a, has a wolf in this fight, a little bit. But 
What we saw last night, as some on Twitter have commented, was a replay of the 2000 U.S. presidential election between Al Gore and George Whoa. W. Bush, when Gore got the most votes, but the neocon-backed Bush made it to the White House. The establishment may give us plebes a say, but it has mechanisms to make sure that it gets the result it most desires. Because apparently 50% of the vote is music industry professionals. So it's a little bit like the Golden Globes, like there's a little uh -huh. bit of a, a black box that happens where maybe people, you know, maybe the popular vote went to the wolf guy. No know. offense to Ukraine, but I'm not sure that they have the financial capability to rig Eurovision. <laughs> I mean, when you're up against Russia. It's their whole economy has actually yeah. been focused on. There were all some of the videos actually that I watched where I was like, they spent the national budget on this video <laughs> so they could put this singer in front of a white psych wall and have her perform in a sequin dress. That was, nobody gets to eat this year. Your children are eating rocks and potatoes yeah. in the street. Like it just for. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I thought Ukraine was either definitely going to win because they had a sad political song or they were definitely not going to win because it was too contentious to make that the winner. But I sort of was going with your Oscar logic of like if somebody makes a movie about something really sad and serious they're gonna win usually uh that's just how it goes right up against somebody doing a stunt something you know somebody dressed like guar and yeah you know. like romantic comedies don't win at the oscars the guy dressed like guar is not necessarily gonna win at eurovision although Sometimes the really silly people do win at Eurovision, like uh, the babushkas who I've talked about, who were like a group of uh, old old women wearing babushkas who sang a song that was like a traditional song in a home language. They won one year, I think, because everybody was like, was, they were the sentimental favorite for everybody. Right, that's the it's the the, the crash year. Yeah, something like or, yeah, you know whatever. And, just, and then people were sending me old. It's the Euro artist, that's what you know, it goes back to like <laughs> let's honor let's honor the traditions of Eurovision. That's well, Eurovision has this rich history of goofiness, and if you go back and look at old Eurovision entries, it's just you know it's the best. Somebody sent me a song by a band called Telex, uh, called Eurovision, that was from 1980, and. You know, if you can imagine, like, Kraftwerk filtered through ABBA singing a song that was like, and I don't know if they won, but how can you not? Just the idea that somebody would enter a competition with a song named after the competition is so Eurovision. <laughs> I mean, look, I like Justin was there this year. He did look a little shell-shocked. He did his troll song, I guess. He's such, he's looking like such a troll lately. <laughs> he... he do you think that he even knew what he was what he was there for? Well, like, I mean, I assume Justin Timberlake has been on the international pop circuit for a long time. I'm sure this isn't right. his first time at the weird European variety show rodeo, but he looked a little bit like, "What the hell is happening? What what is this medley of the greatest Swedish music of all time?" I mean, I kind of wish they had just forced him to do like Waterloo or something. <laughs> you can come on our turf. Yeah, we have to play by our rules. You have to perform ABBA in order to prove your the seriousness of your intentions to be in Eurovision. You can't just come do your troll song and then leave the next day for can. <laughs> I hope it is ever thus. Uh, but, you know, congratulations uh, to, to Ukraine voted the mightiest Ukraine. nation on it earth. It is a good song. It's a great song. We'll play a little bit of it and we'll be right back. <laughs> 
I had never watched River Monsters before last night. Oh my god. I had no idea. I mean, I sort of knew. I I, I guess I, I there's a lot of things like this, and it's hard sometimes to discern between them, but that's why we have you. There are imitations, but except no imitations. There are some other shows. There's one called, like, Monster Fish, and there's one called, like, Chasing Monsters. But River Monsters is the most popular show on Animal Planet. It's been on for, I think, eight seasons, which seems like such this a is, long time. Yeah, I, I looked up this one. It is season eight. I was trying to find this particular yeah, episode. That you I didn't about. find out about it until maybe two years ago when I encountered it the old-fashioned way on a TV in a hotel that was showing a marathon, and I watched all of them because I couldn't believe it existed, and then I didn't know about it because it just spikes all my interests. And it is a show about a guy who is basically the Indiana Jones of marine biology. Yeah. He, his name is Jeremy Wade, and he is a, a handsome, roguish Englishman. Yeah, he's like a Game of Thrones character, he's kind of. So he's so really, cool. He's a real, like, I was like, this guy is awesome. I mean, there's some very cool people. I was texting you last night that there's the, the sharkologist in yeah. this episode. I was like, squad goals. Like, yeah. this guy lives on Bimini Island with, like, a bandana and, like, a sleeveless T-shirt. And he looks like Carmela's dad from The Sopranos, like, but, like, super ruddy and healthy. Like, he would, like, go fight a shark. No, that guy is so cool. He kind of had, like, an Alan Alta vibe a little bit. Yeah, like and, a- like, he's just dropping, like, shark knowledge yeah. and everything. Thing. Anyway, Jeremy Wade, though. Jeremy Wade, he he seems to just be on like a lifelong quest to educate the rest of us about all the things that live in rivers. And this season, what's crazy is this is the eighth season and this is the first season he's in the ocean. Right. He's fine. So he's he's specializes in like freshwater things that can kill you. Yes, that's his that's his zone. And he generally risks his life in order to show you these things. And then what's also really cool is that it's all catch and release. So it's like he'll fi- he'll fish for this thing. He's like an expert fisherman. And then in this season, he's become more of a diver also. And he does all this diving. And he's very upfront about the fact that he's not an experienced diver. Yeah. Well, because I was wondering about that. Because there's moments where he seems sort of like there's a moment in this episode. And we'll talk about what he's looking for in a second. But where he swims down into an underwater cave yeah. system. He's like, this is so dangerous. It seemed legit. Sc- he He's was like, scared. He was, because you could just, it's a TV show, they're filming it. You could swim down to wherever and just be like, oh, I'm not going down any further. That's too dangerous, even for me. And like, you don't, no, no one knows where you are. He doesn't usually get scared. So I okay. believe that he's genuinely scared. I mean, there was obviously, a quaver in his voice. Yeah, the show is reverse edited so that we don't know the outcome until the end. And you assume that everyone's going to live and nothing really <laughs> horrible is going to happen. But he's been doing a lot of diving this season because it's the ocean. You can tell also that he's just, the ocean is not his place as much as rivers, which he is so well-versed in. And he he seems excited, and it makes me excited. Yeah, it feels it feels like, a, you know, I mean, I haven't seen it, but it feels like it must be, it's hard. Not a lot of shows have a great eighth season, you know? <laughs> Like, except for the Kardashians. It's that's crazy. It. Yeah, except for the Kardashians. It's, it keeps getting better They every also time. get to the ocean by the eighth season. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They're also diving in underwater caves you for things that can find out they're people. I want to lay down sort of a baseline before we continue with the discussion of what we're actually talking about on this episode. I just want to just quiz you very quickly about, uh, like, some of your beliefs. Uh, yes or no existence. Uh, Bigfoot. No. No. So, uh, okay, vampires. Maybe. Maybe vampires, but not Bigfoot. Well, are we talking about vampire squid? That's a vampire and a squid. 
Oh, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking vampire. I was picturing like literally a guy with a like with a jeweled ascot and a, well, and, uh, you know, there are definitely. I mean, are mosquitoes vampires? Am I being too broad now? With yeah, what I mean that's vampirism, vampire? sure. But like, okay, I mean that, that's fine. I'll qualify. There are creatures that live on blood. Uh, uh, chupacabras. Chupacabras. Going further. I mean, yeah. Let's say sure. Let's yeah. go. Yes. I believe in the goat sucker. I'm, I'm with the goat sucker. I believe that that's out there. Um, and then this is my this is my segue. Uh, Loch Ness Monster. Well, there's a Loch Ness Monster episode. I'm all for it, but also, like, I actually believe that that's real, that that's possible. Yeah, that there's, like, uh, per, you know, peculiarity, peculiarities of that body of water that make it hard to actually find the thing, and that there's totally a plesiosaur in there or something like that. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but there's not. There's not. I mean, I think that is one of the big things. It's like, oh, maybe there's dinosaurs. Maybe there are prehistoric creatures that there's, like, one left, and it's at the very bottom of the ocean, and we just don't know. And we'll find it, and then we'll be like, oh, see? There was a thing down there all along. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster, what makes it sort of provably non-existent is that the Loch Lomond is sort of has all been explored. It has like a bottom and sides. And so people have possibly seen everything there is to see in it. But what's great about River Monsters is that every episode starts out with like a legend of like people in this country, in this part of this country are saying that like these people have been killed in the rivers. And then here's the story that they have made up for centuries to explain why all these people die in the river right it starts like an x-files yeah set up a little bit where it's like these people are being killed and we don't know how right and, then, and yeah. it's always like something is killing people or maiming them in the water there is an explanation and then he generally narrows it down and it's like a law and order episode where it's like this suspect no this <laughs> yes. suspect no yes, this, this suspect one. also no but let's go back to the second suspect <laughs> Maybe they were hiding something the first time we interviewed them. He goes and talks to a shark as it's like putting boxes on a oh truck. He's God. like, I don't know. I just got to move these uh, this he, plankton. I mean, his his like ability to do stuff. Because that's the thing. It's like when you see him interviewed on other shows besides his own show, he's like a very soft-spoken scientist guy. He's not like just a crazy adventurer, like death wish guy. He's clearly just doing this because he's really interested and wants to educate people about the aliens that live among us in the water. He's like Indiana Jones. He is like Indiana Jones. He puts the suit on. He puts the glasses on. He becomes mild-mannered, and then he's like up jumping out of a plane. Yeah, I mean, in the first few seasons, you know, that's the thing. It's like to top himself continuously, and they really have topped themselves this season. There's like maybe the last episode. I forget if it was the one you watched or not, but there's an episode where he just like swims with sharks. Yeah, that's in the one because he that's first because the they're they, they're thinking basically. So this is the one we were watching. It's an episode about blue holes yes. and the possibility that there is some kind of giant octopus thing. Well, yeah, they don't exactly tell you it's an octopus at first. They get to that halfway through. They're like something might be living. Okay, so blue holes. Let's, All right, let's, let's start with what a blue hole is for because I didn't know and I didn't know until this until this happened. Uh, until you asked me to watch this, and uh, so like we'll start with what a blue hole is because that's the that's the simplest part. Uh, I'm gonna like go ahead and you can explain it. So like, blue hole is a sinkhole that leads to the ocean, and they're sort of like black holes in that nobody really knows what happens when you get to the bottom of one because no human has ever done that, and there are creatures that can go between the ocean and the blue hole through these little like cave crevices that lead from one to the other, but not humans. 
One of the creatures that probably can do this is an octopus because octopi are known for being able to get through like tiny little openings by just like they have no bones. They just squish their whole body through a hole. Yeah, they have, they have no bones. The only thing they have, and I learned about this, was reminded of this by the show. They don't have bones, but they have that sharp little beak yes. for tearing. They have nothing. There's no hard parts of the octopus except the beak that it rips you apart with. Um, right. Hard pass on that as a mode of death. Well, it's so crazy it has a beak also. Like, come yeah. on. It's like, yeah, the, it's like there's real life just Cthulhu's just swimming around. I mean, that's the thing that it reminds me of. It takes it reminds me of the one the thing that I liked most about uh, Pacific Rim, which I didn't really like as a movie. But the idea that there's a crack under the ocean and weird stuff can sort of come out that we don't know what's down there. Which and like, is true. You know. There is. No, crack. I was reading. There's a the Marianas like, Trench at the bottom of the ocean. And there, we still don't really know. There's all these carbon based life forms. That's cr- I mean, they're still finding new species. Like in the 21st century, I was reading about this. Like they, they yeah. found like there's a jellyfish called the pink meanie, which has like oh, 70 foot tentacles. The pink meanie is such a good name. It's the pink meanies. First of all, it sounds so cute. But name your band, <laughs> rename your band. Uh, but yeah, like they have been documented eating 34 jellyfish at one time, like other jellyfish, like preying on larger jellyfish, um, which is crazy. All right, so we're diving <laughs> down. I really, I was like, t- I was really just sort of swept up in this, like this adventure, this crazy undersea adventure, because there's something about, I think there's something about, first of all, the idea of the cave system, right? That yeah. it's the salt water and fresh water coming together. I have some kind of, I think it's like a Tom Sawyer remnant in my brain, the idea of swimming, of a cave that you can get to, not through, not on land. You have, you to, have to swim to, yeah. under very yeah it's goonies it's Be, like right because i could never do that i'm not a good swimmer and well, it's I, terrifying yeah. if you're claustrophobic especially but it's also that's what makes it so cool is you're like we don't know some people are brave enough to go in there but not me but that's what jeremy wade is for <laughs> to do these things so i can watch and find out what is down there it's crazier than yeah than you could ever imagine um and there's also there's this James Cameron documentary I saw a while ago called Aliens of the Deep that is like a 3D IMAX movie James Cameron made, I think, right before Avatar, where it's so funny. It's like he assembles the abyss, basically. He assembles like a hot crew of like young multicultural people t- that are scientists in this tiny submarine to go down and do some stuff. But then James Cameron is also there and he's like, this is dope. <laughs> like, he, he's really into 90s slang. He's like, oh, I hope we see some stuff. It would be really whack that's, if we didn't. <laughs> that's going to be fat. Yeah. With a pH <laughs> is what I mean by that. And they go down to the bottom of the ocean to look for the aliens of the deep, which are basically things in the Marianas Trench that are carbon based. And because the idea is that we can't explore it's like this is what might exist on other planets uh specifically on the moon of one of the moons of jupiter is what he's obsessed with he's like there's a moon that's an ice planet there might be some water under the surface we have to build a robot that can like detach its own robot we have to build a robot that can go to the moon and then on the moon another robot has to hop off that robot and drill and then a third robot inside that robot will swim and sure. find whatever's down there, which we find out he thinks will be the abyss, basically. It will be some kind of, like, humanoid sea man. <laughs> with a face. <laughs> sea monkeys, kind of, like on the sea monkey. Yeah, thing. jello mold with a face. Yes. So, um, I hope so. 
he's he you know but he keeps getting like kind of petulant about like why can't we just go to space why do we have to finish exploring the stupid ocean before we're allowed to spend money on space exploration but uh the stuff they find in the ocean is so much cooler because it's it's there that's the thing it doesn't cost as much i mean it costs a lot of money but it's not anywhere near as difficult as going to space and there's actual aliens that live in the ocean things that predate us and will outlive us and that's so cool (laughs) so the giant octopus um is one of those things that is apocryphal maybe exists nobody's ever seen it per se or we've seen things that seem like it there are giant squid that we've seen Everybody thinks about the thing from the Natural History Museum in New York that's the squid and the whale, which is like a terrifying thing that makes a big impression on you as a kid because it feels very alive and it's lit in a way where it's like coming out at you and you get close to it and you think it's going to jump out at you. And it symbolizes your parents' divorce. So it's just too, it's too much. Impre- oh, is that it's, what that it's, movie's it's about? It's too heavy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's serious. I thought it was about confronting the infinite. It's about uh, two parents who get divorced because they can't stand raising Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> Uh, and they show just by way of explain. Okay, so there was a story about an octopus like a week before I saw this episode about this octopus named Inky that escaped from a New Zealand aquarium by going through like a two-inch pipe or something that it like squished its whole body through this pipe and escaped to the ocean. Uh, and just about how octopi are the smartest invertebrate creatures by far. They're super smart. Made me feel really bad about ever eating them because they clearly have goals like this octopus understood that there was an ocean it could get to back from the aquarium and it did it it is one of the foods I do enjoy eating octopus but for some it is one of the foods that I feel the most bad leaving it on the plate because I'm (laughs) (laughs) because it might come back for you well kind of but I'm sort of like oh there's like a part of piece I'm like that's for some reason I'm like I should finish this I need to dominate this species is I guess what I'm thinking or return it to the right because otherwise it's going to get you is what I'm like yeah otherwise it's like yeah this is like this one this one more octopus it's not tearing me to pieces with its weird beak well in case you you know octopus the thing is like the octopus is is generally docile so the idea of the octopus being like a scary thing that's going to attack people uh, is is sort of not true. But then there's this clip of an octopus getting a shark. That's the craziest thing you've ever seen yeah. where it's like, here's how an octopus might be able to use its powers for evil instead of good if it wants to. And it just shows like a shark like swimming past this octopus that's like on a rock and the octopus just goes like yoink and like (laughs) wraps the whole shark in its tentacle and then just like squishes it into its mouth. And it's a shark. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you're talking about the clip that's in the show, in the episode. He just gets gaffled, as as James Cameron might say. It is dope. <laughs> it is dope to see an octopus and a shark wrestling. It's so cool. And so, you know, so even when the episode ends with like, okay, that's not what maybe killed this person. And it's always like, it's never the animal's fault. It's always like, oh, it probably thought you were something else or it was threatened because you were too near its home. Uh, you know, you sympathize with the octopus because we're the ones invading its home. But even though the octopus might not be a killer, you still just come out of it with this sense of awe of just like nature is so cool. Humans are so dumb. Why do we exist? Let's turn the earth back over to the octopus kingdom. 
This has been North Mollywood. <laughs> I can't. We're not going. In, there's no. We're not going to beat that. We can't. Fin- yeah, we're, that's that's the end. We, no, we can't. We can't beat that one. Yeah. North Mollywood. Space. Who needs it? Who needs it? The ocean. Check the, it out. It is dark and full of terrors. Thanks, Molly. See you next week in the water. North Mollywood is a production of the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV News and MTV Podcasts. You can subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.